Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Well, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And one thing that I want you to know about me is that we've arrived at my favorite time of summer. It's not the excessive heat and humidity, though, that I could do without. Um, I had a lot of conversations with my mom lately. She still lives in West Texas in the Permian Basin. And so it's a very dry heat. Um, and she often tells me, oh, y'all y'all are hotter than we are. And I'm like, oh my goodness, yes. Anyway, that's an aside. I just want to complain about the heat for a moment. Anyway, uh, no, but, but my favorite part of summer is walking through the Psalms during these few months. Um, and, and this year is no different. The last six out of the seven years, we've done a Summer in Psalms series where we've taken Psalms and looked at how they apply to our lives, how it teaches us to worship, how it helps us to know God more deeply. Uh, some of my most favorite books on my shelves happen to, to be centered around the book of Psalms. Um, quick little read is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book on Psalms. I just, I absolutely love it. So uh, when, when Pastor Kevin asked if I would uh, kick off the series, I was, I was pumped. I was, I was ready to go. And this year, uh, we're looking at four psalms for peace. So for the next four weeks, we will be in the book of Psalms, looking at how they deal with certain things within our lives. Today, I have the opportunity to talk about how do the psalms influence or help us understand what to do when we distrust the culture around us. And that's, that's an important thing, right? Because culture is always around us, but we're always in it as well. And so instead of having some ethereal, far-off definition or abstract concept, I want us to start early on with what is culture. And so we see uh, in the book by Andy Crouch called Culture Making, he has this wonderful framework for understanding what culture is. He says, culture is First of all, the name for our relentless, restless human effort to take the world as it's given to us and make something, make something else. So does that make sense to us? Sometimes it's, it's easy. I, I use this illustration a lot of times in wedding homilies uh, to, to kind of go a little bit deeper. You see, if, if we are to take what God has created and then make something of it, we need to look at what is creation versus culture. So the tree, it's creation, but the two by four is culture. We see that the coffee bean is creation, but the Americano, the vanilla latte, the tasty cortado, whew, that is culture. And my favorite example, the cow. The cow is creation, but that sizzling steak fajita, now that is some great culture. It's a fun way to think about it, but it's also helping us to move to where we need to be. So if we were to sum it up, I want to say that culture is what we make of the created world. Let me say that one more time. Culture is what we make of the created world. Humanity from the very beginning was tasked 
with stewarding creation to make a flourishing society to glorify God and to help benefit the family of humanity. God created us so that we could image him, be creators ourselves. And there is a lot in culture in the way that we make something of that created world uh, that is good. The homes that we build, the food that we make, the services that we use to support people, all these things are really good. And when a culture is healthy and vibrant, we can see that the collective things are good and glorify God. And if I were to ask you, what are some of the things in our culture, in the culture that you live in, what would good things be? What can you look at and rightly celebrate as a gift from God because he allowed humanity to make these things? Well, I I think there are a lot of things that we can celebrate because we see it at the culture at at large, out there, um, but we also see it within the business culture, within our family culture. We see it close to home. But also, you know people. You know yourself. And so you know that sometimes culture can be negative. It doesn't take long for us to conjure up these images of negative things. Creation is good, but culture has become poor. It has become negative, and humanity has uh, stewarded it poorly. We've all had jobs or are at a job where the work culture is really negative. It's really hard. And it starts to impact us. It impacts the way that we work with our boss, with our coworkers, with our clients. We then take it home with us. We begin to show that negative aspect to those around us. And it's not just the work culture, though. It is the culture at large. So again, if I were to ask the question, what are cultural things that are weighing you down at the moment? I imagine that it would not take long for you to think through a list of things in our culture that are weighing you down. Anytime that we look at the news or social media, talk to a family member or a friend, we know what the culture is doing that is weighing us down. Oftentimes, culture tells a a narrative that is antithetical to God's good story, that God created, that even though that humans are sinful and broken, that Christ has brought about our redemption by faith through Christ. But culture can be good. So often, it's bad. So what do we do in the in-between Because I'm not here to to rail against culture. I'm not here to always talk about the things out there and act as if I'm perfect or the way I do things or the way I understand things to be perfect. But what I am saying is there are moments where the surrounding culture, or at least the loudest part of our culture, is full of heartbreak and pain. And it spits in the face of God's created order. And so for many of us, the pain that we're experiencing leads us to distrust. 
It leads us to, to carry and feel a heavier load than normal, and we find ourselves grieving what is and what should be. And that distrust comes, uh, it becomes uh, a way to color all of our experiences. The way that we interact with people both at home, at our jobs, in the church, at the culture at large, in the grocery store. And so, as I studied, as I prepped, as I, as I looked at what we would be talking about, one of the things that I discovered is that there are three common emotions that come with distrust. Uh, and those three common emotions are fear, suspicion, and anger. Again, those, those emotions are fear, suspicion, and anger. If every time that we interact with our culture and we find that fear, suspicion, and anger is coming out of our heart and to the surface of our interactions, we will begin to self-isolate and seek to turn away from the problems and from the people and from the things around us. And honestly, that's a really bad problem because if we claim to be a Christian, we're called to be on mission. We're called to be around people. We can't completely self-isolate. And it reminds me uh, of a group of Christians from the 3rd and 4th century. The Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers, as they're commonly called, they retreated from the world into the desert of Egypt in the 3rd and 4th century. And while there were many reasons for them to do that, the main reason, the most common reason, was the institutionalization of Christianity by the Roman Empire in 313 AD. These desert, desert monastics felt that there was a compromise within the church because it was becoming too entangled with politics. The desert mothers and fathers doubted that religion and politics could ever truly produce a Christian society. And look, I'm not here to ask us to become monastics, although I really do dig their haircut. Um, I, th I think that what we learn from them can be good and can be bad. But what I, what I do want us to know, what I am here to say, is that I understand their concern. I understand that there is a good and biblical way for us to begin to process and interact with our distrust that we have in culture. And that's namely through faith in Jesus Christ. So today, I, th I think Psalm 25 will help us uh, to see a few ways in which we can begin to process our distrust in culture and then begin to heal from the danger that it has caused. And so, if you will, turn to, to Psalm 25 in your Bible, or we'll have it on the screens. And just one final note before I read. Though I will read the whole psalm, I just want to focus on the first 14 verses. There are three ways, as we read this, I want you to look for three ways that we'll soon discuss that this psalm demonstrates for us to look to God and his character so that we can navigate our distrust and culture. I want us to be able to understand why distrust is a common experience, but also that God has provided relief and hope for us. So, Psalm 25, beginning in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. 
They shall be ashamed who wantonly, those who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Now, just a moment ago, I said there were three emotions that come with distrust. It's fear, suspicion, and anger. Well, the first emotion that I want to talk about is fear. Fear plays a big role in the lives of so many people, yet we're repeatedly told in Scripture to not fear. So what is it that combats fear? Well, it's confidence. But what type of confidence? Is it confidence in myself, in my belief system, in those around me? Well, no. The confidence that we're to have, as verses 1 through 5 shows us, the confidence is the need to combat our distrust of culture is confidence in God's trustworthiness. Again, the confidence that we need to combat our distrust of culture is confidence in God's trustworthiness. This psalm appears to be one of King David's, and as he writes and prays this psalm, he says uh, that it is to Yahweh, the covenantal God of love, that he lifts his soul. In verse 2, David says that it's in God whom he trusts. Furthermore, David extols his confidence in God that no one who trusts in God shall ever be put to shame. James Montgomery Boyce calls this psalm one of great calm and quiet maturity. Think about that for a moment. David, in all that he's going through, exhibits calm and maturity because he trusts in the Lord. And honestly, I would love for people to say that about me one day. When, when they look at my life and they see the things that I have gone through, I would love for them to say that I have exhibited great calm and quiet maturity. 
So what about you? Is that something that as you go through life, as you see uh, the negative aspects of culture that surround you, maybe pressing down on you, would you like to say that that is how you want to be known and how you would like to react? The confidence that David shows in God displays how mature and calm he is in trusting God because he knows that he will not be put to shame. And so I hope that both you and I will know that that is the appropriate way to live. You see, this unique idea in these first five verses help us see a greater picture of God's trustworthiness and how confidence in him will provide relief from pain, from fear, from just the enemies of this world. You might have noticed as well a word that's repeated several times in verses 2 and 3, and that word is shame. So what exactly does David mean by shame? Well, again, Boyce in his commentary uh, helps us to see that shame that David is speaking about is not the intense feeling of disgrace or dishonor that we often associate the word shame with. Rather, shame, this type of shame, is talking about being let down by God or being disappointed as a result of trusting him. While the culture at large does seem to want to shame people for not looking, behaving, sounding a certain way. One of the biggest issues that we can face as a Christian is this feeling that we were let down by God when we trusted him. And when those who don't follow God see that, they latch on to that. They look for ways to shame us as well. But this psalm, and in fact all of scripture, lets us know that those who trust in God, those who have confidence in Jesus Christ for their salvation and their identity, will never be let down. Those who trust in themselves, those who trust in their own identities, those who trust in their own cultures, those who trust in their own experiences, will will experience their own shame because they have trusted not in the Lord, but in broken and fallible things. Those who have confidence in the Lord and trust him, those are the people that can be certain that God will show them exactly how to live. Verses 4 and 5 tell us that God's path and ways are the correct ones to venture on. Even when we find ourselves in the midst of a culture that we distrust and are worried about how we look, we can be confident, confident that following God and his ways are correct. It will combat the way of the world, and it will be hard. But it helps us when we follow his ways, when we seek God, when we allow his spirit to lead us. We can trust and have confidence that we are doing what pleases God, what glorifies him, and what is best for our benefit. It helps us to have confidence in God's trustworthiness. So, can you see how replacing your fear with confidence in God's trustworthiness would help you? Can you see what it would be like to exchange every fear, every worry, every concern, and lay it at his feet and ask for his guidance, knowing that he is worthy of 
guiding us and giving us an answer. What would you need to experience this week for you to grow in your confidence of God's trustworthiness? But again, it's not, not the only thing we see in the psalm. We see a second emotion. And we see that this second emotion comes, that comes with distrusting culture is suspicion. Suspicion of motives, suspicion of agendas, suspicion of people. Yet verses 6 through 11 help us to know that the way we find health and flourishing in this life is by knowing God's compassion with certainty. David states in verse 6, Remember your mercy, remember your compassion, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. This is David's way of saying, God, I call upon you with all certainty and trust. Your mercy and your love, because of who you are, will take me through this. Then in verse 7, David calls upon God's mercy to not hold his sins against him because he can trust in God's goodness. As Christians, we know that we cannot live the perfect, sinless life that is required. It's why we trust upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He did all that is required to live with God on our behalf. And when we place our trust in Him, when we believe upon His name and His work, God's mercy is applied to us. And so let us think upon that more often. Let us talk about it more often. Because in a culture where guilt and shame and hatred run rampant, knowing that we are not the sum of our brokenness, but rather that we are redeemed by mercy and grace, changes the way that we live. We no longer have to be a part of a culture that seeks to tear down, but rather we can be a part of the kingdom ethic that says people matter to God, so he builds them up. Why is it that we need God's compassion as we live in the midst of a suspicious culture? It's because Christians represent God to the greater world. When we experience his compassion, we can then share it to others and let them know that God is a compassionate, loving God. We can share with, with those that our experience with God is that we don't have our sins held against us, but they've been taken care of by Jesus Christ. But we also need a second reason that we need to think upon this, dwell upon this, is because we need to be a people that have a hermeneutic of charity. So what I mean by that is we need to be people that interpret things through the lens of mercy and grace. We need to look at people and their actions with mercy and grace. Um, I have the, the honor and the, the privilege of walking with a group of people this summer through the screw tape letters. We meet on Wednesday nights and it has been a fantastic summer. And very early on this summer, we talked about what it means to interpret through the lens of grace. Um, and let me tell you, this group has shown me more this summer about what it means to, to wrestle with truths through a work of fiction than I've ever seen before. And it, it's been fantastic. Um, and so even when we stumble over our words, or even when we mess up, 
our group knows to interpret everything through grace, and we encourage one another. So when we do that for others, we can help show them that proper and appropriate way. So, would you like to be like David? Would you like to change, uh, exchange your suspicion for a more compassionate heart? So when someone says something or does something to you, instead of being suspicious of their motives, of their actions, seeing it with the lens of grace and talking to them and helping them and just knowing that it's not you. It's, it's whatever they're going through. So in the next several days, I encourage you, reflect on God's compassionate heart so that you may build within yourself that lens of grace so that you can give that to others in the midst of our culture. And then this third emotion that comes with distrusting the culture around us is anger. Now, there is an anger that can be righteous, uh, but that's not the majority of the anger that we see in our culture today. Uh, That anger is volatile, it's dangerous, and it seems to be everywhere. But if I'm being honest, there are a lot of times that I have unrighteous anger, and man, I try to convince myself that it is righteous anger. But it's not. And maybe you find yourself there as well. You, you might find yourself uh, being influenced or shaped, transformed by the culture around you that uh, says anger is the appropriate response for brokenness and frustration. And again, there is a righteous anger, but most often what we see is not. And it's hard to go a day without hearing about someone's angry outburst. In fact, you may have seen someone's angry outburst on the way to church this morning. Um, so how do we get past this anger? Well, the best way to move past anger is to truly know, to experience, to revel, to sit in the joy of the Lord, to be with him, to be in his presence and know that he is good. David, in verses 12 through 14, describes the person who fears the Lord, and that person receives friendship and well-being from from God. And I'm labeling that as joy because how could it not be joyful to be a friend of God and the creator of the universe? But you see, there's a connecting phrase, a connecting word in there, and we can't overlook it. We see that friendship with God is connected with fearing God. But what does David mean by fearing God? He simply means having reverence and awe for who God is. And we know this from Scripture. We see fearing the Lord is what wise people do. We know this from Scripture such as Proverbs 1-7, 9-10, Proverbs 31-30, and many others. In order to fear God... We must submit to him in humility. When we live as God has directed, we find ourselves prospering as a result of God's guidance and ways. And when we prosper in God's presence, we find that joy is a byproduct of that relationship. Listen to what John 15, 15 says. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. The friends of Jesus know him, trust him, and are taught by him. People who sit under the instruction of an unworthy and harsh culture are not friends of God. Why? Because they are known, taught, and enjoy the things of a broken world and not the things of God. So, rather than being left to their own devices and afflictions, God desires for us to sit in his presence. By submitting to and trusting Jesus Christ for our salvation, that's how we fear the Lord. It's the relationship with him that we find the true desires of our heart, the peace of God, and the experience of joy. Do not let the anger of the world and those around you rob you from being with God and experiencing joy in his presence. For how many of us in here, what would it look like for us to sit for even five minutes in the presence of the Lord this week? Because for a lot of us, we're going 90 miles an hour with our hair on fire. We don't have time to stop and to consider who God is or to sit in his presence because we're trying to get stuff done. And so what would it look like for you to sit in the presence of God and cultivate joy this week? So, in, in light of today's psalm, what are we supposed to do? Well, it's easy for us to feel the weight of distrust and frustration with the things going on around us. It's also really hard to do something about it. Um, as Christians, it may even seem, may seem like there are only two options. The first one is to become disengaged, to walk away, to do what we most often think of as those desert monastics did, is just go away from culture. But that's not a legitimate option. Our second option is just to give up and isolate where we are. So we do the minimum amount that we have to. We, we go to work, we work with people, um, but we, we just turn everything off. Um, but really, we, we can't do that either. We are called as Christians to be in the world, but not of the world. So how do, how do we navigate that? How, what are we supposed to do? Jesus says in John 16, I have told you these things so it, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So how do we have peace? And how do we reconcile that with knowing that we're going to have trouble in this world? Well... Because neither of these options are good for us, I want to suggest a third way, and in fact, maybe even a more simple way, because it doesn't come with moving costs or getting a new home or building a compound. Um, What we can do, though, are three simple things. The first is to cultivate confidence in God's trustworthiness. How do we do that? Well, We develop a habit of looking at what God's word says and how God is bringing it to fruition in our lives and in the lives around us. That means we need to read more than a verse a day and we need to be in the Bible often. We need to know what God is saying. 
When we see that God has promised and then executed what he says he will, we can build confidence in his trustworthiness. But we also need to be in community. We need to be around people who, one, can demonstrate for us how God is working in their lives. And then we need to be around people that we can then tell about who God is and how he is trustworthy. The second thing that we can do is rejoice in the certainty of God's compassion. We need to recall to our heart and our mind often the compassion that we have been given by God every single day. It means not looking at people through their sins and their faults, but rather looking at them with compassion because we have been given compassion and grace. You will want to rejoice in God's compassion, maybe by praying, by singing, journaling, telling others about it, making art, whatever it is. However you can reflect on God's compassion and rejoice in the certainty of it, do that. Make it a goal each day to to reflect on where God has given you mercy and then reflect on who you gave mercy to as a result in your faith in Christ. And the third thing that we should do is practice joy in the presence of God. Psalm 139 in part reads, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is is not dark to you. The night is bright as day. For darkness is as light to you. God is near to us. God is everywhere. And so even when we feel beaten down, we are not truly hopeless. God is near to us. His spirit indwells us as Christians. Rejoice in the fact that he is with you. One way to do this is by simply stopping wherever you are and acknowledging God's presence with you. It sounds super simple, and it really is. Uh, lately, a, a, a friend of mine from the church, he and I meet on a, on a weekly basis, and at the suggestion of, a, of another church member, we're reading through a really short book um, called The Practice of the Presence of God, written um, about or by a, a, a 16th century monk. Um, and Brother Lawrence is this monk, and uh, if you don't know, I, I do really enjoy monasticism. Um, anyway, uh, so, um, so Brother Lawrence, uh, even, even whenever he goes to buy stuff for the monastery or whenever he goes um, to the kitchen to, to prep a meal or to wash dishes, uh, he makes sure that he focuses on the presence of God with him. Um, And again, it's so simple yet so hard to do. But what would it look like for us to just take our eyes off of whatever is going on? Unless you're driving, don't do that. Take your eyes off of what is going on and acknowledge God's presence with you. Practicing joy in the presence of God is a simple prayer over and over again each day. And as you see... Uh, that you are his friend and that you are taken care of, your joy, 
I guarantee you, your joy in the Lord will increase. Look, not all of culture is bad. There, there is good and there is bad. Humanity makes some great things, wonderful things, like the air conditioning that we're getting this morning. Um, and we've been tasked as image bearers to create. But again, because of our sinfulness and our brokenness, we often find ourselves in the midst of a culture that is hurting and is full of pain. So let's be honest about it. If we find ourselves with a lot of fear and suspicion and anger regarding the culture, we would do well to consider if we truly are cultivating confidence in God's trustworthiness, rejoicing in the certainty of God's compassion, and practicing joy in the presence of God. We don't have to be distressed or worn down by culture. God has given us simple ways to look to him and trust him to get through it. The next four weeks, or three weeks after this week, again, we're covering multiple topics in the, the book of Psalms. Each week, we're looking to help you uh, dig into the scripture, understand more of what it says, but also begin to practice it. This week, as we start out Psalms for Peace, four Psalms for Peace, I just encourage you, go back to Psalm 25. Look at it over and over and over again. Sit with the Lord and ask for wisdom and guidance on how to navigate, especially through cultivating confidence in God's trustworthiness, rejoicing in the certainty of his compassion, and practicing joy in the presence of God. Church, I believe we can do this. I know that we can, so that we can be a light in the community and the culture that we find ourselves in. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we thank you. We thank you that you desire for us to make things, to image you, to, to be stewards of creation and to build culture. And God, we ask that the culture that we are building, that we are participating in, glorifies you and strengthens those around us. But God, if we find ourselves uh, in the midst of hard culture, find ourselves distrusting it, um, feeling overwhelmed, angry about it, God, I just ask that you would help us to recall to our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit just what it means to trust you over trusting our culture. God, let us exchange distrust for trust. Exchange the culture for you. And let us help one another as we navigate these thoughts and feelings and emotions. God, I pray for our church. I pray that uh, this week, in whatever unique way that you have for each individual member, that you would help them to enjoy your compassion and your presence your trustworthiness. Help us to see where you are at work so that we may join you, so that we may help those around us. Lord God, I, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart that came out this morning are pleasing to you and edifying for our people. God, may we be a church that doesn't look like the culture, but
what builds a culture of your kingdom ethic, of building your kingdom by your grace and power. Lord God, I thank you for the individuals here, and I thank you for our church as a whole. Thank you for being here with us, for encouraging us, and for transforming us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we love and serve you well this day. We pray all these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit, to the glory of you, O Father. Amen.